Preaching can be a nerve-wracking experience. I guess any kind of public speaking can be. Some people say, I just, I just can't do that. Um, for myself, I, I'm always a bit nervous when I come up to preach, especially preach. Public speaking is one thing, but standing up and, and having the audacity to claim that you have something to say from God, um, I'm surprised that more preachers aren't just struck down in the midst. Um, but, but for me personally, the most nerve-wracking part of preaching is often not during, because I'm used to this, right? I'm used to looking out and talking and, and saying things to you and seeing who's sleeping and who's not and whatever else. And um, I heard a story this week. A friend of mine who's a professor out at, at UBC uh, at a theological school was uh, talking about he, in his church in the United States a number of years ago, and, and this big-time theologian came to his church, and he, he saw him come in the back while the service was already on. I think he may have already been preaching. No, it was. He came in early. But anyway, he saw him come in early part of the service and, of course, got nervous because now I'm going to preach this sermon, and there's this like famous theologian here. And, and he said, I ought not to have worried. A few minutes in, I looked, and he was fast asleep. <laughs> For me, um, I, uh, I get, the nerve-wracking part can be afterwards. And so sometimes Sunday afternoon, I can say, why did I say that? Or, oh, that probably just confused people. Or, that was really dumb. Or um, Sometimes I think there could, should just be a scrolling apology behind me. Sorry that I said this. So what I meant here was this. Last week, so this is my confession. Last week, I talked about something that has since gained some traction. In fact, I talked about it on multiple occasions telling you what my least favorite toy of the Christmas season was. Well, I got some replies. I said it was Elf on a Shelf. And I said the problem with Elf on a Shelf from a Christian perspective is the idea that you take something and say, this thing is watching you and then we'll report back to Santa. It's, it's a mechanism of control and fear. And people said to me, it's just a toy and it's cute and we have fun. I'm like, okay. So I was going through that. I know I should have said that differently. And I still have a problem with Elf on a Shelf, by the way. Break the rules. We're good. Anyhow, um, but I got home Monday night after my elders meeting. And uh, I see a little wrapped present on my doorstep. <laughs> and I open it up. And there it is. With this card. I'll read it for you. Dear Pastor Todd and family. Why'd you drag the family into this? Whoever did this, I'm looking over here. Um, Anonymously. Please reconsider your thoughts on my twin. As you can see, I'm not evil and neither is him. Terrible grammar, though. Anyhow. We're all about fun in an often stressful season, yet we know all underlined and capitalized about the real reason. May you smile when you see us upon a high shelf And remember, we come to help you lighten up your awesome self. God bless. See you, Elf. Yeah, he's reporting on you. But he's reporting to Jesus. So I have a a word then for what I experienced after that. And then when I found out who it was, because I have private investigators who go and find out, I experienced unexpected joy. And that uh, 
surprisingly, is our theme for this morning. Unexpected joy. The Sunday before Christmas, and you know what's coming. I do too. And we're excited about it. I love Christmas time. Uh, but it can get a bit crazy in the next number of days. And I can pretty much tell you this. You're going to be upset with somebody. You're going to be disappointed in somebody. You're going to probably face moments of thinking, uh, I wish it was different, or I wish there was more, or I wish that I didn't feel like this. Um, you might look at other people around and think that they have everything together. Uh, don't assume that. They're looking at you thinking the same thing. What do you expect in the next few days? Joy comes unexpectedly, the best kind of joy. And the reading for today, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, is all about unexpected joy. This is the story. It's an old couple, past their prime, whatever that means, probably just barely content, But they were religiously devout. He was a priest in the temple. The story has a crisis in it. I think you can change the only slide we have. You can change. There we go. Now you know what we're talking about. Um, The story has a crisis in it. But the crisis is old. It's dated now. And so, you know, you you come across somebody who's facing illness or something, and and your heart can really go out to them. And sometimes the crises that people carry, be they mental health crises or or chronic difficulties, they can can get a little weathered and old. How are you doing? Oh, you're still not very well. And Elizabeth and Zechariah, their crisis was a little bit old. They wanted a child, and they had no children. And now they probably had, well, they certainly had given up on that. In that culture, much more so than today, Being childless was a sign of God's disapproval. And so they carried with them not only the ache in their own hearts for what they wanted, but they carried also with them the disapproving looks of others who still today we do the same thing. We conveniently explain why somebody else is facing difficulty and we convince ourselves that it must be their fault. There are angels in the story, so that's good. Or at least there's an angel, but it's a big angel. And there are miracles in the story. But the story is all about unexpected joy. How is this a Christmas story? Well, it's the beginning of the Christmas story. Some of you, when the reading was read, if you don't know the scripture, you hear the angel speaking to Zechariah, and he says, your wife's going to have a baby. Well, you realize Zechariah is supposed to be Joseph, and Elizabeth's supposed to be Mary. Your, your wife will have a child, and you're to give him the name John? Oh, this story isn't about Jesus. It's about somebody else. But this is the beginning of the Jesus story, at least at the birth of Jesus Christ on this earth. This is the story of John the Baptist's birth, and John the Baptist will be the one who we know from Sunday school and whatever else. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. You can remember the reading we had when we lit Advent candles earlier uh, in this season, talking from the prophet Isaiah who says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This, Christians believe, is the voice of John the Baptist. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain made low, and the rough places will become a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. This is the coming of Jesus. And it is always, always, and for those of you who, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, feel that just more than the warm Christmas spirit, which is nice, you look around, you see your family, and you think, this is beautiful, this is wonderful, even more than that, and you can be alone when you feel this, you might not have family gathered around, but if you have that moment where where it dawns on you what Christmas is about, it comes as an unexpected joy. 
What's the worst thing about Christmas? Okay, you don't have to put up your hand. But I, I guess I suppose it's what we've made it. But I, I mean, somebody told me yesterday, we had the gift wrapping event here. Somebody told me yesterday, someone who came to have their gifts wrapped, that uh, they saw on Facebook, it wasn't a friend of theirs, even a Facebook friend, it was something else that had been passed around and around. Some, some woman had uh, posted a picture of her living room, the Christmas tree, and the living room quite literally filled with toys, or with, with wrapped presents. 300, apparently there were 300 boxes. And of course the comments were, what's wrong with this woman? Why so many presents? She has two young children. And she said, I work hard all year and I want to spoil my kids at Christmas and that's that. What's the worst thing about Christmas? Money? Crowds? The busyness? Most people would probably say the worst thing is the emotion that can come. And you can feel this even if things are going relatively well for you. Uh, that's, and sometimes I think that people who've experienced great loss, it's easy to forget that, that you don't have to have experienced great loss to feel some of the melancholy that comes. But for those of us who haven't experienced great loss at, at Christmas time, it's also helpful for us to remember that there are people celebrating this, but the celebration always comes with tremendous pain as well. It's a difficult time. But much of the worst of Christmas comes around the word expectations. Family expectations, gift expectations. You ever gotten a gift for your child and you realize as they open it that they're terribly disappointed? They're looking around as if there must be something more. Uh, or you've maybe cast yourself in the other role. You've received something from a loved one, maybe the loved one, the closest one, and you're like, oh, you ever felt that? I never have, but maybe you have. <laughs> it's all around expectations. The, the hardest ones are, are family expectations for how things should be. Can we just have a nice dinner for once? Most of the time, let me free you from that expectation. Most of the time, the answer is no, you can't. You're after a Christmas card. You're not after your family. Because the person who says those ridiculous things or goes political exactly the opposite way that everybody thinks and has to make their point, guess what they're going to do? That's what they're going to do. Why are you surprised when they do? Much of counseling that I do when I talk to people is to remind people, why are you so surprised that that person is acting like they act? It's not that we're without hope, but, I mean, all of this comes around expectations. The story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, I told you they were old. Now that's different than it means for us. They never would have reached the ages that we consider old now. But they had wanted a child, and for their time, they were past that age. Where they were in their lives, and, the point, and at, at that point, they had probably changed or given up their expectations. They had accepted their lot in life. It wasn't the worst, they did okay as a couple. And then one day, it's always one day in, in many of these stories. Zechariah, the husband, the priest, that's his job. It's easy for me to identify with characters like this because he's just doing what he's supposed to do, but it seems that things aren't going that great or that terrible. It's just going. And by lot, by chance, apparently, he's chosen to perform the priestly function of lighting the incense in the temple. Whatever else was to happen that day for Zechariah, this was in itself the occasion. It was him going to the temple, me going to church, whatever it is, you and whatever role you are, and you have a special function that day that you don't normally have. That's what would set the, part, the day apart for Zechariah. At least that's what he thought. 
That's what made the day extraordinary. But that's about as extraordinary as he hoped he would get. He gets ready. He sets off for the temple. He prepares what he's supposed to prepare. And there's always preparing for ministers and priests. You've got to get this thing here and this thing right and that thing. And if he doesn't get it right, there's, it was worse for him than it is for us these days. You remember the, the Old Testament and into the New Testament, what the priests would do when they would go into the holiest place. You know that they would tie, you know this, right? Those of you who know the Bible well know this. They would tie a rope around that priest when it was his turn to go into the holiest place. Why would they tie a rope around him? And in those days, always a hymn, of course. Why would they tie a rope around him as he went in? Well, because if he messed up and did something that he shouldn't have done in there, he probably was going to die, because that was where God's presence was. And you couldn't go in there and get him, because then you'd die too. Because you weren't a priest, and you weren't qualified to go in. So if he died, they could at least drag him out by the rope. Thanks be to God. I mean, when I mess up, it's just like, Todd, you forgot to do this. Ah, I feel terrible when I think about it. But I've never been up here with a rope tied around my waist. (laughs) Though that would be a nice way to end, wouldn't it? Preach your last sermon and then they just drag you up. (laughs) Zechariah is there and his role is important. And he's there as as a mediator, as an intercessor. This is always the role of every minister. It should be the role of ministers. The role of ministers should not be just to cajole you into doing things for us. The role of the minister is to intercede on your behalf. And may I say, uh, we share this responsibility now. It's different than it was in these days. We intercede for one another. But the role of the ministers, Keith and myself and the elders among you, is still to intercede on your behalf before God. And we do that. And we're pleased to do it. In those days, it was done in a specific way. They would light the incense. And the incense, as, as it, was, as it uh, would rise, represented the prayers of the people rising up to God. And the sanction of the priest took the prayers of those people outside the temple. They weren't allowed to go in. Took those prayers, lit the candles, said the proper words, and the prayers rose up. And then the priest was to come back out and say very different formulas, different uh, like words they would use, and they were scripted. But they would say, in effect, God has heard your prayers. Here's your blessing. Off you go. So it's an extraordinary day in those ways. About as extraordinary as you want your days to be. Your, your best hope for an extraordinary day is probably you, uh, if, you're, if you're in financial straits, getting more money. If it's family difficulties, having somebody do something in your family that you don't expect that's good. Whatever it might be. And on that scale, this extraordinary day for Zechariah was that he got to fulfill this role. As he's about to light the incense, everything changes. An angel appears at the right side of the altar. Uh, it just, the, the scripture is so sparing in how it tells these things. As he's about to light the incense at the altar of incense, an angel appears. The angel Gabriel appears, uh, the angel Gabriel appears standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Oh, I mean, it's not a church lady come in. It's, not, it's an angel standing there. And Zechariah, again, now it, it gets a little more descriptive here, but it's still understating it because it says Zechariah is deeply troubled and fear fell on him, which is exactly how all ministers act when God shows up. What is happening? Because it just it can just seem like another time. And fear fell upon him, and the angel said, so appropriate how the angels start over and over again, visiting Zechariah, visiting Mary, visiting Joseph. The first words, the angels, they're not just initiation, they're response, because the angel sees Zechariah's fear, and the angel says, do not be afraid. 
God's words to us are to lift us up. And then the next words. Your prayer has been heard. What would that mean to a priest lighting incense that represented the prayers of those other people? Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. I'm in the church. Now, I'm not always thinking about you. Most often, most of us are thinking about ourselves. But in hopefully in the role of a good minister, you're, the ministers are thinking about the people of the congregation. So he's there thinking about the others outside, thinking about his duty, and the angel says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. I don't know if Zechariah is on his feet yet. I, for me, I think these things must come in waves, these words of the angel. Just the presence. I'm still trying to get over the Gabriel standing there. But now, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will have a son. It's, they're so, it's too good. It's going to kill me with this kindness. And you'll give him the name John. And you will have, now here's the unexpected part. You will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice because of this. And then the angel gives some more instructions about the child who will prepare the way. And Zechariah now, uh, just like you guys, if someone speaks long enough, you have the, you know, and you feel something, that feeling can maybe dissipate a little bit. Zechariah now is not so afraid that he can't talk, so he speaks. The angel says, this is what's going to happen. And Zechariah says, brilliant start, just what you would say, how? And then he would have launched into an explanation of how children are born on this earth. And that Elizabeth, and I don't know exactly the Greek here, but I do know that what I tell myself when I, when I read it, Zechariah says, how? I'm an old man. Just, just right up front. I'm an old man. And my wife, you would think you would say, is an old woman, but he doesn't say that. And my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> He's a priest. He's learned how to be diplomatic. And the angel says, this is great too. The angel doesn't say, well, here's how it's going to happen. Basically, I mean, how it happens is he goes home, he sleeps with his wife, she gets pregnant. They seem to think it's past the possibility of that. This is, is not a miraculous conception in that way, except it is miraculous, right? But instead of explaining what's going to happen, well, Zechariah, here's what you need to do. Gabriel says this at Zechariah's disbelief. He says, I'm Gabriel. I think that's all the words that should have been needed at that point. I'm an angel standing here talking to you. You want to know how that is going to happen? You have the same thing all the time in your lives. You experience God's presence. You experience the Holy Spirit. You experience God's power. You see God's faithfulness through the years, but you keep asking about the next thing, the next thing. Well, how could that possibly happen? The angel continues. Gabriel says, this is the best part, especially for you when you think of what happens to this minister, this preacher, speaker. Well, Zechariah, because you didn't believe, from this moment on, you won't be able to speak. For nine months, you're going to be mute. So the next thing Zechariah says is, well, 
it's nine months later. Doesn't say how again. You're going to be mute. You can't speak. It must have taken a while, this interaction uh, with the angel and with uh, Zechariah, because the people outside were told they were getting a little bit antsy, saying, where is he at? He's supposed to come out and pronounce this blessing to us. And he finally does come out looking a little disheveled, I would think. Not looking like, you know, composed like the priest would normally look as he comes out from this ceremony, this ritual. And he's supposed to give this uh, line about your prayers have been heard and pronounce a blessing and the people would be comforted and sent on their way. But instead, he just tries to, to, to do like a charades. That's what the Bible says. He starts saying to them. And I guess maybe he tried to explain to them that an angel came. I don't know what he did. What would you do? Why is he doing that? And the halo, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no paintings yet by this point about this. And there was an angel, and he said to me, so there, they'd start saying, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. And then finally somebody says, he must have seen a vision, or he's crazy. And the people leave. Zechariah is mute. And he goes home, and he wordlessly lies with old Elizabeth. She must have known something was a little off. He's in a romantic mood, but he's really quiet. (laughs) He's got a little something to write on in the nine months of his silence. So it's, I mean, ministers would find a way, right? So he still finds a way to talk, write stuff down. Thank you, Lawrence. (laughs) And when the child is born... They're talking about what to name the baby. And there are women, their relatives, and they're busying themselves at this wonderful occasion. How about this name? How about that name? Zechariah starts sitting in the corner. They had learned, not just over nine months, but especially over nine months, how to ignore him. But he made enough of a fuss in the corner there with his chalkboard or whatever it was. And uh, they, oh, he, what's he saying? And Zechariah writes down, and I mean, it's a little more, obviously more patriarchal society then than it is now. So if, when he said it, it happened too. But also just the power of how it happened, they, they accepted it. So he's, you know, Zechariah's got something to say. He writes down, his name is John. And then he can speak. And if you look in the story, the end of chapter 1, the very last thing before the birth of Jesus is narrated directly, like the little manger we have here, the very last thing in Luke's account is Zechariah's song that he writes and sings. No longer mute. What's striking about the story? There's a lot that's striking about the story, but what strikes me, yes, the angel appears. That's striking in itself. Yes, the angel says, God has heard your prayer. Yes, the angel says, Elizabeth is going to have a child. That's all striking enough. But what's most striking, I think you'll experience this too if you read this account well, is when the angel says, after all of these things, and Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness. Unexpected joy all through this story and through the whole Christmas story, if you hear it, if you know it, you can see it. And in your life as well, The best joy, the deepest joy comes, always comes unexpectedly. Zechariah had grown to expect too little. 
It wasn't that this was wrong or bad. It's just that he had done what you often do and he had settled in life. He served God, but he didn't expect God to actually show up, not least in the form of an angel. And he carried this ache about unmet expectations. It's unexpected because you know what life should be, what your hopes are. Maybe your hopes are next year you'll be better off or next year you'll get in shape. Uh, There's a way to do that, actually. You don't have to just hope for that. But anyway, who am I talking to? Anyhow, (laughs) next year you'll have a really good life. And when you get that in Christmas cards from people, when they refer to like that next year is going to be really good for you, I just know next year is going to be a good year. They don't know that. But those are the hopes we have. We hope about that high. We hope, we hope about that high. It's so pathetic. This joy is unexpected because it is always more, but always different than you ever could have imagined. It does answer the ache in your heart, but it might not mean that you're better off next year. It does answer the ache in your heart, but it might not mean that that thing you're fearing will not happen. Maybe it will. It reminds you of how small you are, that we are of little account. And this for Zechariah in the presence of the angel. I think I would feel this in the presence of an angel, an epiphany, a theophany, an appearance of God, God's words in the form of this angel. I think that as I was down on the ground and he started talking about about Elizabeth having a baby or whatever else, as Zechariah, I think I would say, don't talk about my situation, something much bigger is going on. What's happening here? It's unexpected because we expect too much or differently. And then the rest of the Christmas story plays out. Christmas, the coming of Christ. Elizabeth will meet her cousin Mary. Gabriel's going to pay some other people visits too. And you know the story of God at work. But then when the couple goes to have the child, I think this is the, the, the most unemphasized part of the Christmas story that you need to hear the most this year. Okay? When the, when the couple goes to have the child, They don't even get a hotel room. Even a terrible one. I mean, now it's cute. Both St. Timothy's and Sutherland today had pageants. A little, well, pageants, sorry. Uh, They they did the dress-up that that we did before, and then we brought in the kids, and it's so cute, and everybody claps, and it's absolutely wonderful. And it's so um, tranquil. That's not how it was. It wasn't even this good. The place where Jesus was born. Here's why I think it's unemphasized. Because as this unexpected joy comes about, God doesn't even seem fit, doesn't see fit to to prepare them a room. But you see, you in your faith, because your faith is sometimes relatively little, relatively weak, that would knock you off. You would say, well, okay, God, I know you're with me. I know you're answering my promises. And off you go to have that child. And the minute you found out the inn was full and you don't get a room, you'd say, well, God's not in this. This is an incredibly comforting part of the Christmas story. That this is how God tells it. That Mary and Joseph had this baby in an animal stall. How could God be at work if it turns out this way? How could God be working if this is how things are? How do you think Mary and Joseph must have felt? That innkeeper, Joseph thinking, as a father, I, would, I, I can already imagine this, me thinking, 
I think the reservation's made. There's, I'm sure there'll be a place. I don't think I booked it online properly. Maybe they don't have it. But I'm sure it's okay. I've got my family here or whatever. Or, uh, for them, this, this, child, this, this baby about to be born. But you can cast yourself in the role. And there's Joseph, and he's thinking. And just as they go up and knock on those doors of those inns, well, God is with us, obviously. We know that. So the room shouldn't be a problem. Nope. Can you please hear yourself in that story? If God is in this, if God cares, here's what you're saying to yourself. Then all of these things will work out for me. Well, they didn't for them. It wouldn't be where they chose to have the child. I'm not saying that God is a bad organizer or has low standards, but look at the accommodation that he arranged for the arrival of the Messiah. It's almost enough to make you not believe, except it can do the opposite. It can remind you that even the difficulties in your life, that through those things you often judge things incorrectly because there is joy all around in this story. Unexpected joy. It should not have been announced to the shepherds. The chorus of angels sings, we bring you good news of great joy. And the shepherds say to us, unexpected, great joy for all people. And it rings through scripture. You know the words, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And when the apostle writes to early Christians, whose lives, by the way, are, have at least as much difficulty as yours, he writes to early Christians and resounds this again. May the God of hope fill you with what? Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. The content of the joy in the occasion is not a nice hotel room, not everything working out for Mary and Joseph or even for Zechariah and Elizabeth. I'll show you what the content of the joy is in Zechariah's story. He's doing his work. He's fulfilling his duty to the all-powerful creator God. He's interceding for the people. Zechariah's work is marked by this mediation. In fact, Zechariah's work is marked some, in some ways by the distance between God and people because he's going to st- stand in between, right? So he's aware of this distance. Not everyone can approach God. And even for the priests, they've got to have the rope tied around their waist. You see this distance? And the distance was not only felt in his work because you know a little bit of his story. Perhaps for Zechariah, the distance was felt most acutely in his life. God, all these years I've been serving you, and this has been my one prayer. Those unmet hopes and expectations as he served God, that things should go well for him, and he kept at it, but perhaps he had the thought that this was all he should hope for until that one day. Was the content of the joy that Elizabeth was going to have a child? In one way, yes. Your prayer has been answered. But it was much more than that. Chapter 1, verse 67. Isn't that wonderful? Luke 1 is a really long chapter because it's the setup for the birth of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 67 is when Zechariah is finally able to speak again. And he sings. He writes a song and he sings it. And what's the first thing that he says? Well, what it says says about Zechariah before he speaks is that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And these are his first words. It's not even about John at first. It's not even, oh, the child is so cute. Isn't this wonderful? We have a baby now. These are his first words. Blessed be to God. He has visited and redeemed his people. 
What is he praising about? He does praise about the birth of John, but much more than that. Blessed be to God for this reason. He has come near. The distance is being erased. The God who seemed far off is now close. This is the content of unexpected joy. And if you see this at Christmas, and I'll tell you this now, I mean this for every one of you here, and some of you would say, Todd, you don't know what I'm facing this Christmas. I don't, and it might be terribly difficult. But for every one of you here, you can know this unexpected joy. You have everything you need to know it. I'm sure of it, that you could, be, you could fall on your knees and repent And praise at the same time like Zechariah did. And you'll be lifted up and you'll hear the words of the angel Gabriel. Who said to Zechariah, you will know joy and gladness. This is the miracle of Christmas time. Not that Christmas was a good one. And that it really worked out for you this year. And that the family seemed to get along pretty well. Not that your expectations were met or bettered even. That seems to be the best Christmas we can hope for. One that's even better than our expectations. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was this. It was not, from now on, things will be good and easy. Because from this point on, it wasn't wasn't that their lives were easy, even with John. Some of you who know the Bibles, know know your Bible, know what happened to John, right? He was imprisoned and his head was cut off. I mean, this wasn't, from now on, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby and it's going to be trips to Disneyland. It was better. It was better, and it's for everyone, even the shepherds, even a mute priest, even a couple who couldn't get a reservation on the most important night of their lives, even for you. Here it is. Here it is, and I'm stealing the words of another preacher friend of mine. No, it's not Ken Bell. Here's the promise. God, whose ways are so vastly beyond our ways, is also unimaginably sometimes unbearably close. God, whose ways are so vastly above ours, is also unimaginably close. And in case we might miss it, the very name of the child born to Mary, and the angel gives the name for that child as well, what you will call him, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is the answer to your deepest hope. I'm telling you. Not that that thing would work out for you. I I would love it if it worked out for you. Whatever it is that you're thinking about. But this is much deeper. Emmanuel, God with us. And a last note on Zechariah's name. You know what Zechariah's name means? It's beautiful. God remembers. God knows the ache of your heart. And when you confront, when you experience this unexpected joy, as you look towards this child born, you will hear the angel say, your prayer has been heard. It's better. How does Zechariah know that God remembers? Because of John? No, it's more than that. He has come near, redeemed his people. God's ways are vastly beyond our ways, but in Jesus Christ, God is unimaginably close. Close. And so my word to you today, and I say it whether you've done this many years ago or if you've never done it, I would implore you, put your faith in Jesus Christ. God, who is so vastly beyond us, is unimaginably close. Let's pray.
Come, Heavenly Father, on this best of all times of year, this best season, it's so good that we've done with it what we do with everything else we like. We've just made a mess of it. And we've hurt even those closest to us. We've hurt our loved ones in, in, in the desire to have a perfect holiday. Or we've ignored our loved ones saying, don't bother me. Or we, we just, we're so filled with self-centeredness, Heavenly Father, that we fail to see what is around us, even the people around us, let alone failing to see you. Would you confront us with this unexpected joy? May we put our faith in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand again, please. I'm hoping words are coming up there. from the realms of glory bring your light o'er all the earth we whose name creation story now proclaim Messiah's birth come and worship come and worship worship Christ the newborn King shepherds in the Yeah. Mm-hmm.